Welcome to the Homeschool Show, dedicated to viewing home education and all aspects of life through the prism of God's Word. Thousands of families are experiencing the educational freedoms and challenges of teaching their own children at home. Now here's your host, veteran teacher, homeschooling dad, author, speaker, award-winning film producer, and president of Piedmont Education Services, Greg Munger. Today on The Homeschool Show, you're going to learn more about the various approaches to home education and talk about socialization and many other aspects of homeschooling. Hi, today uh, I'm glad you're with us. I'm Greg Munger, president of Piedmont Education Services and longtime homeschooling dad and teacher and your host here on The Homeschool Show. Today we have Misty Spinelli with us. She was kind enough to come back again today. Thank you for being here with us, Misty. Hi, Greg. Nice to be here. Misty is an author and a homeschool mom of six uh, lovely children. She's also uh, made this wonderful DVD called Homeschooling Answers, which you, if you go on our website called the homeschoolshow.net, you can find more information how to obtain that. It's a wonderful resource for you. By the way, you can listen anytime live to our show by k- clicking the live button there on the, on the website. You can also listen to podcasts or share those with your friends. And if you have any questions about home education or any particular aspect of it, you can find uh, ways to link to Misty or talk to her or us as well at Piedmont Education Service. So we hope that this homeschool show will be a great resource for you. Well, Misty, last time we were talking about uh, the goals of education and why we're doing it. Now let's talk about some particular approaches to home education. There's so many just like there's so many ways of, uh, so many types of books and curriculum, but kind of break them down for us, if you would, please. Be glad to. There are several different philosophies, we'll call them, of education out there uh, that people uh, tend to lean towards one or the other uh, when choosing how to educate their children at home. Uh, the first one, is, we'll just call it the traditional approach. It's the way most of us were educated. Using a bunch of textbooks for every textbooks subject. Textbooks and workbooks. Um, The idea there is that we're going to, for instance, read our history chapter and work some problems in the the book and study it and take a test on it and move on to some more information. So that's called traditional approach. The traditional approach is what most people call that. It does have a drawback in that it's pretty much based on short-term memorization. We're going to study this amount of information for a short period of time test on it, and then move on. The problem is that most kids don't retain very well that way. There is a part of the population who can. I think I've read somewhere that it's about 10%. So that leaves 90% of our kids not really retaining this all that well, if that's the only way we teach them. Uh, I can usually show people that they didn't retain as well as they thought in grammar school by asking them if they can name me all 50 states and their capitals, and almost no one ever can. Yet, at one point in their life, they could. So I ask them, well, did you learn them then? And they'll, some people are confused with what the word learn means, and they're like, well, yes, I did. I learned them then. And I'll explain to them that, no, they memorized them then. If they'd learned them, they'd still know them. And, uh, and so that sometimes shows people that, well, okay, so I spent like a month of my life memorizing those things, and they didn't stick. So was that a waste of time? Well, a little bit, maybe. But there might have been some ways we could have um, worked on those differently that would help them 
would help them stick better. And that was my um, next question. Is there a better approach than the traditional Well, you know, book? that is everyone's personal opinion. You know, each person who adheres to a philosophy thinks theirs is the best, obviously. So that's why it's important for moms to get out there and educate themselves and figure out which one seems like it's going to work well for her personal teaching style and for her children's learning styles. Another option that a lot of people go with is uh, one called the Charlotte Mason approach. I've Charlotte heard of Mason that. was an educator uh, in Victorian England times, and she ended up writing six really great books on education. One of them actually called Home Education. And her philosophies are very sound and work really well for a lot and lots and lots of homeschools. She had sort of three components to her educational day. She had a very structured, very to-the-point, very academic part of her school day. At the beginning of the day, you would start on time. You would do your subjects in the same order every day, but they would be very, very short. Um, She noted that children only had about a 15-minute attention span, and so it did not make any sense for your lessons to be any longer than 15 minutes, Hmm. and that you should never have your child practice sloppiness, which is what seat work usually accomplishes, Uh, that the, the... The subject matter should be presented in a very lively and engaging way and and done very well for a very short amount of time. Uh, Sort of the concept, uh, people say practice makes perfect, but the problem with that is only perfect practice makes Makes perfect. perfect. Floppy practice makes sloppy. Uh, So that's sort of her philosophy there. Well, if you do subjects for 15 minutes, you're done in less than two hours. Her next part of her education was... uh, through reading what she called living books. Um, One definition of a living book would be that it's written by one author who's passionate about their subject. So that sort of takes all your textbooks out because they're usually written by committee. It would be a very passionately written book. Uh, Lots of things fall under that, all the classics, really good historical fiction, autobiographies, any biography written by someone passionate about the person they're writing about. And then, of course, there's tons of nonfiction that is passionately written about their subject matter. But it's more engaging for the student. And so she would either read aloud um, or the students would read or a combination of both. Lots and lots and lots of great living books. And then she would have the children narrate back what they had just read or just heard, which basically meant they just retold it in their own words. And there is something magical that happens when children talk about what they are learning. It really makes them uh, catch hold of that information, hold on to it. It helps them see the big picture as they talk about it. It helps them articulate These things they just heard, it improves their vocabulary because they aren't just sort of passively hearing these words. They've now got to actually use them and use them in the right context. They've got to put it all in an order that makes sense. It just does a huge amount of stuff in your brain when you narrate. So it sounds very interactive as well. It is very Um, interactive. To me, one of the most important things, if you don't do Charlotte Mason's philosophy at all, if you taught yourself how to do narration and used it with any other technique, you've upped your learning by, you know, exponentially. I am so enthusiastic about it that a friend, uh, Shirley Hurley, and I actually created a curriculum called Narration in a Jar, which makes narration a game so that the children will actually say, Mom, you forgot to narrate today. (laughs) We want to do this. Um, And it helps it get incorporated in their homeschools so that they get in the habit of narrating. What about Um, people, though, who are not very structured and 
and like to do all kinds of uh, life skills. Is there an approach for that as well? Well, there is uh, There's what we call unschooling, which is the idea there uh, is that the way children learn when they're very young is that they just go about their day helping mom, uh, playing, asking thousands of questions. Mom answers all the questions, and as they get older, they'll just continue to do that. At some point, they'll say, Mom, come teach me how to read, and Mom, I want to learn how to write cursive. And you just keep supplying them with what they need to know as they grow. There is a lot that can be taken you know, from that that is really good to use in your homeschool. Personally, I feel like children need some structure. They need to be taught that mm-hmm. they might have to do something they don't particularly want to do right at this moment. A lot of life is structured. Un- yes, and I feel like that pure unschooling leaves a little bit uh, to be desired in that area of actually training our children to be able to cope with the world as, when they're adults. Uh, but the idea of catching that teachable moment, uh, I think, is crucial. I think that you can go too far to the extreme, and when your child comes to the comes in the house with their caterpillar in a jar saying, oh, Mama, can we figure out what to feed it, and can we, you know, can we keep it, and can we do this? And Mom goes, no, I don't have time to do that. We're studying rocks and minerals right now. Go <laughs> put that thing back outside. She's just really lost, you know, a great teaching experience for her child because her child's interested in the caterpillar, you well, know. Is there uh, a middle ground? We've talked about the uh, more traditional approach of a textbook for every subject, mm-hmm. and you talked about Charlotte Mason with a lot of reading and learning through a great literature. Right. And then unschooling is sort of on the other end of the spectrum. What's right. in the middle? Well, some people just call it eclectic, where they put several things together. There's one other called unit studies that okay. a lot of people choose to do, where they will pick uh, a subject for their, for their children to learn all together as a family, and it sort of works like an umbrella. Uh, and all of your subject matters for school fall under that umbrella. So it uh, might be really easy to explain a little kid version of this, but you can do it with all ages. Mm-hmm. Say you wanted to, you just had younger kids, second grade and down, and you used teddy bears as your subject. Well, in studying teddy bears, you could do math by counting and sorting and adding and subtracting all the physical teddy bears you had in the house. You could study bears for science. You could study Theodore Roosevelt for history. They could write their own little story about a teddy bear, and you could write it off for them so they could use it as their copy work for their penmanship. They could draw a picture to go with their story. Um, we could uh, learn about, uh, we could do a teddy bear tea party, and we could learn about Britain and manners and where it is on the map, and that's our geography, and on and on and on and on. Don't you have to be kind of creative to do that kind of thing? You, if you pull it together yourself, I think that you probably do need to be. But as in all areas of homeschooling, there are tens of thousands of curriculum products available. So someone terribly uncreative can buy uh, unit study products that just hold your hand and walk you right through that whole process. And I am pretty creative. I have a Master of Fine Arts degree, but I use things to help me. I don't want to take the time to think all that up. Um, me and my little girls, I have three, my three youngest are uh, second grade, kindergarten, and preschool, and we're doing a unit study someone else created on Russia right now, and we're having a blast uh, reading about all the people in Russia and finding it on the globe and making our little stacking dolls and um, I'm not having to think up any of it. I'm just doing what the author's telling me to do. <laughs> so, it's, it seems uh, like you just um, plug in where you need to plug in and use the outline that somebody has created there. That sounds exactly. very good. 
And the reason I chose Russia was because we were reading a book that it came up in and something about the the last uh, royal family and Anastasia and them getting killed at the end and whatever. And my little girls were just intrigued and who were these people and where was Russia? And they were interested, so I went with it. And uh, that's one of the really wonderful, fun things about homeschooling is being able to take your children's interests and really expand their knowledge in something they're interested in. Well, we've got about a minute before we have to go to a break. Uh, so in that next minute, uh, Misty, tell about which one do you think most people start with? Most people homeschooling, beginning homeschooling, what do they start with? Well, most people go where it's comfortable. Yeah. And we're going to buy workbooks and textbooks. Uh, workbooks, I think, are the kind of thing that seem to lend themselves well to homeschooling. Uh, children a lot of times can work independently in a workbook and just come to mom when they have a question. Uh, it seems right. It's the kind of thing you did in school yourself. Uh, uh, it's going to go in a very good sequential order, so you for sure that nothing's going to get missed. Um, I highly recommend that new homeschool moms buy those kinds of books for their core curriculums, their spelling, their grammar, their reading, their math, but then have then for history or science or both to step out of that boundary and to try to go about it a different way, to read a lot of historical fictions or biographies and do projects for history, to do experiments and read living books for science. And so that you've got a combination of, here's the thing that I'm really worried about, whether or not my child's going to learn how to spell, and I've got a really good just spelling workbook they can work in and learn and progress. And yet, I want this thing they're excited about every day when they get up that we're learning about. All right. Well, we have to take a break now, and I'm glad uh, that you've been able to listen in. This is the Homeschool Show, and I'm your host, Greg Munger. When we come back, we'll talk more about uh, particular approaches to home education. Welcome back to the Homeschool Show. I'm your host, Greg Munger. We're glad you're with us today. We also have as our guest uh, Misty Spinelli, who is, has a homeschool mom of uh, six children and uh, written several books. And she has the DVD called Homeschooling Answers. You can find that on our website, thehomeschoolshow.net. Misty, before the break, we were talking about the t- various approaches to homeschooling. We covered the traditional approach, which uses a lot of textbooks. The other end of the spectrum, the unschooling approach, was, which is more of a living life kind of approach. And then uh, you mentioned the Charlotte Mason approach uh, has two particular, three particular steps, I think. Can you briefly uh, uh, tell us about those, please? The Charlotte Mason. Sure. I had already said that the first uh, aspect of Charlotte Mason was that very structured part of the day where we kept our lessons short to 15 minutes. And then we delved into all this great, wonderful literature and had our kids narrate back. And the one we didn't get to was the third part of her philosophy, which um, was to kick your kids outside, basically. Pretty simple thing. But it was very important to Charlotte that the children spend a lot of time outside. And I think that that is even more important to our children today than it probably even was to the children of her era uh, during Victorian England time. Um, I've actually heard recently that we are raising a generation of kids who are sort of anti-nature. They just have spent so little time in it, they cannot connect with it at all. Her idea was that children needed to be outside exploring God's creation, that that was the basis of science, that you should have no science curriculum until about fourth grade, that up until then they just needed to touch things and 
pull them apart and poke in them and think about them and be in them. Uh, she would use nature journals to let the kids record the things that they were seeing outside. They needed to exercise their bodies. And uh, one aspect that I don't think our parents think about is that our children need to have time to think about and play about the things we've been teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the ways children really get things in their head. Uh, I've watched my children play acting. Uh, the characters from a book we'd be reading or characters from history we're studying, uh, they need time away from monitors and uh, earbuds. (laughs) They need things that they need to be in their own heads. Uh, And so the Charlotte Mason philosophy works really well in a lot of homeschool settings because moms want that structure. They know kids need to get up at the same time every day and do some things on a regular basis. They love the way kids learn from reading real books and living books. And then, of course, they get the need for the physical exercise and the and just the wonderfulness that children get from being outside a good chunk of the day. Uh, Charlotte lived in temperate England, so she said outside every day, 365 days a year. Um, here in the central part of North Carolina, we might not adhere to that on the 20-degree days and the 100-degree days. But, right. uh, but otherwise, she said rain won't kill them, you know. <laughs> well, you've got all of these various approaches they sound all very good, but how in the world do you decide which one do I use? Well, that, kind of is fall a into it? that is a difficult decision for some moms, but I think that as you start studying, I'm going to emphasize that again, that homeschool mothers must be learners themselves. I'm going to give you another reason they need to be uh, learners. Children emulate everything they see us do, and if, you have, if your children aren't old enough to know that yet, you're in for a great surprise. Uh, the good and the bad, they will emulate If they see you studying, that makes them want to study. So moms need to be studying, and not just at 10 o'clock at night when the kids are in bed. They need to carry that homeschool book around with them, and every time they get a chance, be reading and highlighting and making notes. But as we study uh, and learn more about it, and and if we do it prayerfully, you know, God, God created this child. God has a purpose for him or her, and he's the only one that knows it. And whatever that purpose is has a very, very particular education that it needs Mm -hmm. in order to fill that purpose in life. So we have got to hand our education of our children over to God anyway. We've got to let him direct us in where we're going with this education. So most people who prayerfully attack which philosophy do I want to use feel pretty much at peace in what they're doing. And um, I've used two or three different ones through the years. So as your life changes and your children change and grow, you may find your philosophy changes. But again, you can't change it if you don't know about it. So there's that continuing education that has to always be happening. What about that dreaded word, socialization? Uh, <laughs> you know, you can... Love that word. Yeah, that seems to be a common question. Ooh. Well, I could give you the answer that always shocks everyone, which is I don't think kids ought to be socialized. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe we'll save that for another show. Um, I think most people are concerned that our kids won't have friends. I think that's what they're thinking about, because I think most people realize that parents are very good at teaching their children how to act in social situations. We're we're better teachers than their peers would be, obviously, in all those realms. But I think maybe that what they're thinking about is that their children won't have friends uh, because they're not in a classroom. And I really haven't found that to be an issue at all. As a matter of fact, most kids make their friends outside the classroom because they're really supposed to be studying in the classroom and they're supposed to be quiet. Most of their really good friends, I think, come from church and the neighborhood and their ball team and their scouts and those areas where they really can socialize. Well, our children are in all of those things as well. 
No matter we what also, approach you use. I'm sorry. No matter what approach you use, no you can do all No matter what approach you use, mm-hmm. your children are going to be socializing. As a matter of fact, it can be a detriment. Socialization can be a detriment to homeschooling in that some beginning moms, especially, will tell me at the end of their first year, oh, my goodness, we did too much stuff. I've got to stay home this next year. There's a lot to talk about. We, well, Misty, thank you again for uh, being with us. It was so nice to have you on the show again. We'll have to have you come back again. Thank you, Uh, Greg. You that are listening, uh, you can find information about her and her website on our website, thehomeschoolshow.net. You'll no doubt see Misty at some of the regional homeschool conferences. We thank you for listening today to The Homeschool Show. Again, our website is thehomeschoolshow.net.